Change can feel scary, but it can also be exhilarating. A time to stretch our boundaries, embrace new opportunities, and a chance to start something new. Welcome to Business Unknown with me, Dan Nicholl, made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Hello, welcome to another episode of Business Unknown presented by Brightrock. I'm Dan Nicholl, and over the course of the eight weeks in which the series is running, we're going to be meeting an assortment of South African business leaders, people who've taken on all manner of challenges during the course of their careers and done some pretty extraordinary things. They've had one or two bumps along the road, which are important for us to learn from, but they've also had great triumphs, and those, we hope, will be inspiring us at a time when South Africa has never needed inspiration more. The economy very much on the ropes. A lot of people wondering what the future holds, trying to work out where a horizon might be and when life might start getting back to something like normal. And with it, when the when the working environment, when the business world will get back on its feet as well. Now, last week, we chatted to Greg Maloka, the radio maverick who's currently behind the empire that is Kaya FM. Today, we head down to Cape Town and we meet somebody who has creative genius written over just about everything he has done. We know him principally as the man behind Design in Darwa, which this year celebrates 25 years of bringing creative people together in all manner of formats and doing a terrific job therein. But he's got a whole pile of other endeavours, which is not bad considering when he started out, he wasn't planning to get into anything like where he finds himself today. So our second guest, week two of Business Unknown. Hello, Ravi Naidu. Greetings, Dan. Hi, good to be here. It's lovely to have you along. You're looking particularly relaxed, uh, which is fairly standard for Ravi Naidu. I don't think I've uh, ever seen you without a, a smile on face and looking like you're enjoying yourself. But even Ravi Naidu, the eternal optimist, the confident, outgoing go-getter, must be feeling a little bit of the pinch that's affecting the world as a whole and South Africa in particular at the moment. Oh, absolutely, Dan. I mean, I think what COVID has done for all of us is that it exposed underlying symptoms in our bodies and our comorbidities, but underlying symptoms as well in society and in our businesses. And so besides all else, it's been a massive dose of, of, it's been a hubris killer. I mean, it's been something that is very, very humbling and sobering. And, uh, and, you know, uh, this has been a great time to recollect and kind of reframe what it is that we're doing. So, uh, yeah, you'll find a bit more of a subdued uh, Ravi Naidu here for a change. Of course, Ravi, you'll have uh, a really good understanding of this space from two points of departure. Uh, the rampant entrepreneur that you are, that runs richly through your DNA. So you'll understand just how much stress the business environment is under. But there's also the actual virus, the medical perspective, because if we go back just a few years, we find Ravi Naidu, the medical student. Yeah, and those were, you know, reasonably trying times uh, at UCT Med School, postgrad research, measuring fluxes of currents across pituitary cells, not exactly dinner party conversation, and uh, but also completely aware of the tumultuous changes happening in the country. 1990, Madiba released from prison, and it was an impetus to kind of, as the country was reinventing itself, to go upon, you know, start upon a personal reinvention. And I was very, very lucky. One letter changed my life. I was able to, I wrote a letter to all the leading ad agencies. I wanted a detour and quite sharply. And I managed to inveigle myself into a job at Young and Rubicam, managing an account that they had just won 
a pharmaceutical account, so I could go in and offer value immediately. And uh, it just changed the trajectory of my life. I always hankered after the creative industries. In fact, I did 12 years of speech and drama prior to that while at school. I, uh, you know, studied my business, my, my, my uh, science classes with as many art classes I, as I possibly could. And I mostly did science because it was a rock solid, dependable thing in the old apartheid era. And, uh, and at, at, in about 1990, I thought, well, I want to, I want to make a detour and get into the creative industries. And, and that, you know, uh, was the best decision I made. I suspect there'll be a lot of people listening, watching now, thinking where I am, I maybe lost my job, my business has hit a dead end. I, I just, I can't see future where I am as a result of COVID. You made such a radical change. You embraced it and you leapt into this brand new space. Uh, part of the answer is writing a letter to everybody in your dream industry, clearly. Uh, but what else helped you to make that transition and allowed you to go into such a different direction and do so, so successfully? Uh, it's an amalgam of things. It's never one thing. Uh, I mean, one feeling like you're a glorious underachiever. That's a big enough in- impetus. Uh, not being able to run your household because they just recently got married. That, that would be an impetus. Uh, and, uh, and also, you know, just feeling that uh, you really have to follow your passion. And I, I was hankering for a while. After doing something creative, uh, I was not meant to be, uh, you know, nailed to a lab stool in a far-flung corner of the laboratory a complete social misfit. I'm gregarious. I needed to be in and amongst people. And, you know, it was a recognition of that. As, and it's a recognition of what will optimize you. And I was uh, lucky to kind of telegraph that at some stage. And super, super lucky. You make your own luck, of course, but super, super lucky to impose myself on these two ad agencies, one of which wanted to send me on a graduate developmental program. And I said to them, I've already collected degrees that I don't know the relevance of. So I, don't, I won't do that. And meanwhile, the others had just landed the pharmaceutical account. So that was, that was lovely. But uh, yeah, you have to put yourself in harm's way sometimes. And, and you know, Mark Shuttleworth was saying that quite nice. He says, whenever you have to make these big decisions, it's hardest the night before. Uh, and, you know, you've, you, you fret about it, you worry about it. But once you get in, you just start swimming. So I think it's, you know, just about giving yourself that chance and getting in. I'm glad you mentioned Mark Shuttleworth because his story is uh, it's also a Ravi Naidu story in so many ways uh, because you'd, you'd made your way into this space, you'd started your agency, uh, you'd really gathered some momentum uh, and then you had the chance to send a South African into space. Now that's just fundamentally cool on so many different levels and uh, mm. the, the fun part will have been the one that we've all seen and thought, gee, that looks awesome. Uh, but I'm guessing it was also a, a huge task, a huge challenge, a lot more to it than we would have seen just watching on. What was that whole experience like? It was an unbelievable, goosebumpy, boys' own kind of dreamscape that I, even now I just have to pinch myself as to how it came to pass. And, and Mark is a legend. I mean, an absolute icon. And I knew him before it was fashionable to know him. Uh, I knew him early days when he was walking around my office in shorts and slops, connecting us to the proto-internet as it stood like in 1995. And then he, you know, we would be in contact and he would track our progress. And we had started projects with Vodacom and I started the design in Darba. But the one project that piqued his interest was we did this rally across Africa in 1999. We drove from the northern tip to the southern tip of Africa to promote investment in telecommunications. It was called the African Connection Rally. 
And he quite liked that. And he, and he saw the huge halo around this entire event and the media leverage that came out of it. So he darkened my doorway soon after he sold his company, famously for 575 million US dollars in 2001, paddling out on the last canoe as the bombs were going off with the dot-com. He was so lucky. And, uh, and anyway, he darkened my doorway and he says, hey, I've got this crazy idea. Uh, I want to go to space. And uh, you guys seem to be the kind of people who could you know, manage the cons around it. So he just saw it as being a communications exercise at the time. And it became a lot more. And we became a de facto space agency for him, as the guys at the European Space Agency referred to it. We set up an office in Moscow. We started flight negotiations uh, with uh, Rosario Cosmos. Uh, so we did the legal stuff. And Mark went off to train and learn Russian and train to be a cosmonaut. And then we created this kind of campaign and this package around it. And at the time, he was quite partial to promoting awareness around HIV AIDS. And we uh, suggested to him that maybe that was not the route. And we said to him, you know, people are dying. We are very, very conscious of the issues of, like, about HIV AIDS. Is there something else that we could do that is a bit more expansive, that's a lot more positive, way more optimistic, that could be a lot more solutions-oriented? So something as to how we could point to where growth could come from in South Africa. And given the platform of a flight to space, we chose math, science, and technology and to promote that. And we created this beautiful brand, it called hip to be square written as a formula, H-I-P-2-B, subscript 2. And created an entire campaign that said it was cool to go do math. It was cool to study science. And Mark was able to do experiments in microgravity, giving scientists in Southern Africa the first opportunity to do experiments in microgravity. And then the, the communication campaign, Astride that, it was absolutely magical. And, you know, Mark talking to Madiba uh, and uh, and then connecting with ham radio and talking to students at schools from Kailicha to Chatsworth. Uh, it was an absolutely sensational. And he gave off so much of himself. And then subsequently, when he came back uh, later that year, we had created this roadshow across the country. And we had these two pantechnicans that just went across all nine provinces. And we interacted with about... 120,000 learners. And we created a, a, a bit of theater around it with a replica Soyuz capsule, a rapper MC, a graffiti artist, uh, a DJ, and, and then Mark and a mad scientist. And then Mark, uh, you know, uh, telling them a bit about his story and what he learned from space. And, and that must go down as just like one of the most unbelievable projects. And just being there, uh, you know, crying myself a river, holding hands, admission control, Star City, Moscow, uh, was just like one of the most magical experiences of my life. And Mark has gone on from there and done even more. I mean, the bloke's an absolute legend. And as a South Africa, a South African, I don't think we uh, maybe, you know, he's gone a bit off the spotlight, but uh, he's a national treasure. Was there ever any envy with Mark going up? Did you ever wish you were the man sitting beside him in his spaceship? Not at all. I think I'm just too yellow-livered and too scared to do that. I mean, I would. Uh, I mean, I had so much of uh, admiration for his training. You know, he would do these parabolic flights, and they are otherwise called the vomit comet, or spin around in something akin to a centrifuge. And I mean, his training was so darn arduous all through a Russian winter. I remember visiting in February, and the prevailing temperature was at about minus 35 degrees Celsius. 
we were staying at a place at Star City, which is pretty cool, called uh, the Prof Lectorium. And uh, I mean, none of what he did, you know, because some people had uh, you know, the temerity to suggest it was a space tourist exercise. But Mark took this so seriously, he trained like a proper cosmonaut. He got so fiercely fit. And in order to be able to tolerate those kind of G-forces and to tolerate, you know, that unique situation, uh, you'd require to, you know, a fair degree of, of training. And then over and above that, when you get up there, you've got this communications uh, overhead, and then you've got to do experiments. So you're going to be a lab assistant up there. And, uh, uh, and yeah, he, he actually worked extremely hard in that time. It's part of an extraordinary story and as a, a one-off triumph, although it was over a period of time, it's definitely one of the highlights of your career. Probably the most sustained highlight, though, I would imagine would be Design and Darby. 25 years this year. How did the idea for it come about? How did you create it? And did you think that you would, in the best possible way, give birth to the monster that you have that now plays such a, an international role in the design space? Uh, it was purely accidental. And it was just really being responsive and just listening to the kind of issues that we were hearing from the designers in Cape Town. I just started a company. Uh, I had started Interactive Africa. I was off to the races quite quickly. I was very lucky. I won my first pitch with Vodacom and had Vodacom as a client for many, many years. And being reasonably solvent and having their cash flow just allowed me some opportunities to experiment in other spaces. And I always wanted to have this kind of hybrid company, not just be an agency to others, but also to do some indie stuff. And this represented the first indie project that I could do. And we were talking to some creative people in Cape Town, and we thought that you know, design is like the kind of Cinderella sector of the industry and people kind of misconstrue what design is. They think it's about beautifying things. It's, it's invariably thought to be decor. And they don't really realize that it's a lot more sublime than that. And it's, you know, it's the skill of facility to improve the quality of life. But the other charming thing about it was to find a project that was about growing the cake and not necessarily your slice of the cake. And so we were asking like, what could this grow the cake project be? And the idea came that we were so wholly dependent on commodities in Africa generally, and specifically in South Africa, with gold, diamonds, platinum, coal, etc., that we hadn't really gone upstream. And we hadn't got to the space where we could leverage ideas and understand that this is the prime real estate and not three kilometers below Joburg. And to understand that the 21st century is going to be about the ideas economy. And in fact, we were leaving so much of value on the table by not converting the raw materials into the beneficiated value-added product. And the X factor in that conversion is design. So we wanted to advance this case for design being the X factor in the economy and giving, giving us the facility, that skill to understand this kind of transformation, the alchemy of an idea into reality, of a commodity into a value-added product or a brand. And we wanted to do this by fast-tracking South Africa and going to school on the experiences of people who have gone before us. So instead of starting at first base, maybe we could start at third base, and we could leapfrog South Africa. Could we learn from Sir Terence Conran as to how he started in the post-Second World War London uh, habitat that became a global success? So we set a very, very high bar for it. We, you know, it was never going to be a parochial, provincial 
South African local gig. It was almost always going to be something of, of global scale. We, we, we said that much. And it was an after-hours project. It was not our day job. So a bunch of mates got together after hours and we conjured up this thing. So I did this every two years, 95, 97, 99, 2001. By 2001, and each time it grew by an order of magnitude, but 2001 was absolutely heaving, filling up the opera house at the uh, Artscape Theatre. And we realized we're onto a real live one here and we set up an entire infrastructure to support it. And it's happened every year since. And it's grown to become the world's biggest design conference. And that's been really, really neat. And so what we did as a mandate for this event said, we'll do three days of talking and then 362 days of doing. We'll have a think tank and we'll have a do tank. And that was the whole notion at the start. And so Design in Dava has subsequently spawned over 200 projects across the country of varying scales, from being catalysts for the new Museum of Contemporary African Art, to building terraces of houses in a squatter camp, to building this gorgeous arch for arch on the oldest avenue in Cape Town to celebrate the life of Archbishop Tutu and our celebrate our constitution. So all of these things have become and have been extruded out of design in Darba, where it's become not just a gathering and an event, it's become a mandate for action. And, uh, and that's me. It's, it's just been my university. I've learned so much in the last 25 years, and I'm so deeply respectful of the platform. And uh, as long as I'm breathing, I'm going to be coaxing it and nurturing it and nudging it along. So I'm looking forward to welcome you, uh, Dan, to the uh, 50th, which would be in the year 2045. I shall put it in my diary. I think I'm free that afternoon. It's a great party as well, that's for sure. We do it. With Ravi Naidu involved, I have no doubt it's a great party. And it's an approach that uh, encompasses pretty much everything you do. You have a, a huge amount of enjoyment. You've also learned, as you say, an enormous amount. It's been your life's university course. In terms of that learning, I'm fascinated to know from a very personal perspective, what's been the absolute high point of the design and Darby experience? And what's been the real low point, the one where you thought, I, I just can't believe this is actually happening? I think it's almost always, it's a very, okay, the event's gorgeous and it's done so well and it's won like beautiful accolades and it was voted best conference in the world at the Oscars of the events industry in Barcelona the IBTM awards. And so all of those things are great. And those are qualifiers. But the winner for me always is where the ideas and the genius leaves the room and settles in community and settles in the high street. And it's about really the impact. So I think the impact for me has just been a magical. Uh, nothing we've done in 25 years would come remotely close to that emotionally charged Saturday morning. And uh, it was definitely the most wholesome thing we've ever done. So as regards highlights, the design in Dava 10 by 10 low cost housing project. Again, as regards low lights, uh, uh, there've been a few. Uh, probably the biggest disappointment was, uh, you know, we were progenitors of what is now the Museum of Contemporary African Art. And we did all of that hard running, right from the initial time that Thomas Heatherwick came to design in Dava in 2006. And we chatted to three sets of owners of the VNA and carried the idea across the threshold each time. But for most part, uh, there was a dream that it was gonna be a design in Derby Museum. So that didn't come to pass. I feel like in ideas, that's not a problem at all. Ideas are like energy, they're never destroyed. 
they just transformed in, in from one shape to another. I still carry a torch for doing something that would be a, a space that celebrates design in Cape Town. Uh, but I think the lesson learned is that maybe next time out, I'll do it on my own terms, not as a tenant of a JSE uh, juggernaut, but to do it and maybe from a scale point of view, something that I could get my hands around a lot better and, uh, and, and do it where we have title. And the one lesson I learned from that is that the biggest beneficiary of us cultural activists going in and doing a piece of urban acupuncture is actually the property developer and the absolute uplift in the property prices all around it. So I reckon when the creative activists come back next to do something around design, maybe they should benefit from the uplift themselves. And uh, so, you know, hopefully that will be project 2.0. All of which suggests that there is still a long way to go in your design and David journey and many, many ideas you'd like to transform into reality. Oh, we're just starting up. And yet it's not just that, because you have so many other interests, probably the most high profile one at the moment, you decided to spend a little money and you signed up a couple of interns called Paul Harris and Michael Yordan <laughs> to work for you. And you decided to, to make the internet rain down across South Africa. Oh, that's been a lovely journey. And it happened at the right time in my life. And it was a great opportunity to even diversify out of this primary focus around creative industries and design. It was about 2014, got a phone call from Paul, an absolute legend, Maverick. Uh, you could see that, you know, he, sparky as ever. Uh, I mean, the gentleman just turned 70 right now and is chairing one of South Africa's most vibrant startups. I mean, you know, note to our souls, Dan, I mean, that's what we want to be doing when we're 70. But at 2014, he called me around to Element House and he says, hey, uh, we're having a bit of a brainstorm session. And why don't you come around and join? And I had no idea as to what it was about. And then we go into that gorgeous wood paneled library at the Element House and we see it was a room full of people, including some international consultants. And uh, they regaled us with a story of this kind of opportunity that was emerging to buy a company that had some spectrum assets. And, you know, I had 16 years worth of experience with the kind of comms and strategy and marketing around Vodacom. And I could offer some value. And it, I was inflamed by the prospect and uh, wanted in like kind of immediately and uh, managed to, I certainly don't have the firepower for Paul Harris or Michael Jordan, absolute weenie buffer by comparison, but took everything I had, sold an apartment, liquidated the share portfolio, and I basically was so convinced that this was going to be something worthy. I went, I'm all in. And uh, it's been a most amazing ride. And, uh, but it comes from it's such a wonderful notion. I was lucky enough to name the company Rain. And in, in naming it, the reason for that name is, 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 is reasonably profound. And it's not just okay, a cool brand name, but about what it stands for. And we said at the outset, we wanted to make access to data almost like a social justice project. We wanted to be the fastest and the cheapest if we could be. And we wanted to be like rain in the sense that rain does not discriminate between Bishop's Court and Kyle Leacher. Rain is pretty egalitarian and democratic. And we wanted to try to be like so in terms of how we made access to data. And uh, we've been building. And it's, an, it's, it's been quite a task. Uh, you know, we have a sprawling subcontinent. We decided to focus on urban areas. And our big punt has been on 5G. And the rollout has happened now in Johannesburg. And just this week, 
uh, 5G was launched in pockets in and around Cape Town. And we happened to buy an asset that had the only real spectrum to leverage a proper 5G network. So uh, we think that, uh, you know, uh, everything's set fair. It's been a long journey, if you think 2014 to 2020. None of these projects that I mentioned, from a design in Darba to et cetera, are just add water instant gratification projects. And, uh, you know, it's two, six years on and we haven't seen a single dividend yet and probably not likely to for another two to three years. But boy, oh boy, we're already getting a most amazing reverb from the fact that we could say to you without any fear of contradiction that it's, uh, you know, uh, as, as regards 5G, it's the fastest and it's the cheapest internet you're going to get in South Africa. That coupled with the story of the man in space, the story of design in Darba, the story of this medical student who decided he needed to unleash his creative and set aside his doctor's bag has led up to the most important question I have to ask you, Ravi, and it's a question that a lot of people are asking themselves at the moment. The immediate future, where do we stand? How do we navigate as difficult and uncertain time as we've probably ever had in South Africa? This is a country that's had some difficult and uncertain times. If you are Ravi Naidu now, and you're trying to, to balance a sense of optimism with a sense of the pragmatic, some advice to the business owner who's looking ahead, can't see an horizon, let alone what is on it, and is thinking, how do I get through these next couple of years? Yeah, important questions. And I mean, there are things that happen out there that are positively draining mentally and emotionally. And, uh, you know, issues around corruption right now, where, uh, you know, money for our response uh, to the pandemic is being stolen. And it starts to make you worry that, you know, corruption is not a bug, it's the feature. And it's something that we need to talk truth to power about. And we really, really need to, uh, you know, staunch this uh, because it could really steal our future. But I think, you know, uh, it's been a very sobering time and I would probably break it down into three areas. I think personally, I made a few decisions. The one thing is to get fit. I think coronavirus has highlighted the importance of being fit. Uh, those of us that have been really stricken have had comorbidities and you know some of these things uh you know we could probably help to mitigate against and uh, diet helps and exercise helps so i've actually used this kind of time to uh, you know regain a level of fitness i'm probably back to the kind of fighting weight i was uh, when i started designing darba so you know that's really really cool I think uh, it's very, very hard to earn a crust right now. I think it's been particularly difficult, even for our company. Uh, you know, we're not raising an invoice every single day. And so we thought, like, how do you still remain relevant? So I thought that at this particular point in time, rather than being too distraught about not being able to uh, run a business as you used to run it, you know, rather start to respond to the uh, crisis du jour, the crisis of the day, and, and so we've been busying ourselves in the last three months with projects that are in response to the pandemic. Uh, we did a project where with local manufacturers, notably Polo, South Africa, made half a million masks that were distributed to commuters around Cape Town through the city of Cape Town's disaster management uh, unit. We worked with two NGOs in Cape Town and a Design in Darba speaker. We had launched this at Design in Darba and created this new backpack 
that rolls out into becoming a sleeping bag. It's a new product that was launched at DI called Shelter Bag. And we've since distributed about 500 thus far to the homeless in Cape Town because, you know, the uh, winter weather is upon us. And we are trying to keep the people who have somewhat displaced in this time warm on the streets. So I think, you know, finding some purpose in this time uh, to do, uh, to, to, to respond to it, I think we're going to find even wider uh, issues around inequality. And anything we could do to try and help that and close the gap is something that, uh, you know, we really, really should spend our time doing. I think the other part for it is to just maintain your mental well-being. And I find one of the things that's really helped me is to surround myself with kindred spirits and people who are optimistic as well. And and being assisting in projects like so. Uh, I took a walk up uh, Table Mountain the other day with three young entrepreneurs. I met them at Design in Darbo. They were sitting at the, in the audience. And they developed this new project where they do a, a version of a Nespresso pod. But they do a South African one with local roasters, but in a compostable pod because this Nespresso pods are notoriously uh, ecologically unfriendly. And they do this with a byproduct of the sugarcane industry called the gas. And so you, once you've had the pod, you can toss it into your flower bed. And uh, loved it so much. And in this time, been venturing them and even decided that in this little time now to set up a fledgling uh, investment play, which I'm calling Diva, Design in Darbo Venture Accelerator, to just find these beautiful little uh, green shoots out there and to give them both some mentorship, some advice, and wherever uh, I can, uh, a little bit of coin uh, to help them along the way. I think in terms of family, it's just been the most amazing time to regroup and to really relish this time together. Uh, it, this was the longest time my nuclear family was together uh, for as long as I can remember. Uh, I got my son in on the last flight in from New York and just being together has been amazing. And I think, you know, one of the things we try to do in this time is start to plot a few more things and to start to plan a longer horizon and plan projects that will just, you know, kind of catapult us forward and give us things to look forward to. There's these guys who spoke at Design and Davos some years ago and all of a sudden, you know, we could be obsessed with the new. But so much about what we need to do in the world right now is to fix the old as well. Cleaning up databases, sorting out the website, sorting out all those kind of back-end issues that you don't normally get to do in the whole humdrum and the, you know, the crazy sprint that's your, your regular day job. I think it's also a great time to reaffirm purpose and to ask yourself why we're in it. There's some, you know, there's a quiet time to use the solitude uh, and to, you know, meditate upon like why we're doing what we're doing. Tempered somewhat and, and very sober, but on the whole, still quite optimistic. And uh, I just hope that, you know, from a South African point of view, there is a bit of a political malaise and there are some issues that do not exactly cover us in glory. And I just hope to God that uh, our leadership can pull things together. And our, the thing that imperils our nation is really corruption. And, um, and, and I hope, um, you know, we, we could fix that. But I, if we get that right, all bets are on. We've got absolutely everything to play for. Um, this is just one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And uh, I absolutely adore it. I love our people. I love this space. And, uh, and you know, uh, we should, if we do this thing right, 
we should really regain some of the kind of lofty vision we had in 1994. We could really, you know, really become a pilot project for the world uh, in terms of what South Africa is really, uh, that should be you know, our kind of motto. But at the moment, um, you know, we've shifted the algebra to the lowest common denominator as opposed to the highest possible multiple. And we need to give South Africa a stretch again. Now would be a good time to press pause, to rewind and to go through those words of Ravi Naidu again, because you got some life lessons, you got some business lessons, you got some very personal reflection and you got a few family values thrown in for good measure as Ravi Naidu sums up his vision of where we are and where we are going to go. His journey has been an extraordinary one from medical student through to the, the face really of design in South Africa via design in Daba with some pretty cool side streets along the way as well, such as that mission to space and his current work with Rain. All told, a fairly honest appreciation of the tough times we're in, but also I think a flicker of hope and some suggestions of how we all might be able to do a little better to help ourselves to get through the difficult times ahead. So Ravi Naidu, thank you for sharing your time. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself. And thank you for giving us some much needed inspiration on Business Unknown. Thank you, Dan. It's such a pity we couldn't be together. Uh, I mean, I would imagine that after we finished this interview, we would have decamped to the wine cellar. And uh, But uh, here we are. And I look forward to seeing you in person again shortly. So there we go. I can't wait. I'm going to hit Ravi Naidu's cellar just as soon as I can and look forward to my invitation in 25 years' time to getting to design in Daba. I'm Dan Nicol. This has been Business Unknown. Join us again next week with Bright Rock as we catch up with another of our entrepreneurial and adventurous South African leaders and get a little more advice for these troubling times. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Business Unknown with Dan Nicol. This show was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes.